0: Alrighty, is everybody there? Good day, everyone. Hello, welcome. Sorry for that moment of silence there. I was having to resync my microphone. Thank you for joining me uh, for today's episode of Merge Worlds, a special one, if uh, for no other reason than this is episode 100 of this Dungeons and Dragons campaign story podcast stream thing monstrosity that I have been putting out for several years now. My goodness. Several years I've been doing this. I believe that we're well over 300 hours worth of story if you were to listen to the beginning of it, which uh, some of you, Ms. Teresa, for example, has just recently done. uh, Listened back through the whole thing, so I appreciate that. Um, Tonight we will be continuing with um, where we left off last episode, which is where the Artists Maeve, Petalran, and Kip Group um, have just infiltrated Daggers Bay Keep. And uh, what is going on there? The resolution of of that. So, uh, I'll begin, of course, just by saying, hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, please remember to click that like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Um, And... If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, or any of the audio podcast networks, please be sure to uh, you know give us a follow there with the likes or the thumbs up or the stars and all the stuff. It would be helpful. I appreciate it. MT has listened to it all on Spotify many times. Well, I definitely appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I, we had a little a little surge uh, in followers recently on Merge Worlds on Spotify. Uh, not you know not any activity of that nature is always cool to see, so I definitely appreciate that. Um, we'll start off with uh, a little bit of a recap from where we left off, uh, and then we're gonna, you know, go into the story. We'll start with some reading as we always do. <laughs> Hello there, Mr. Jim, and Miss Smashley, um, and we will uh, stay tuned for the end because some special stuff at the end of this episode as well. Uh, for those of you. Uh, who might be interested in hanging out the whole time. Uh, we are going to have a little bit of a, a giveaway in honor of the 100th episode. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify in the month of April 2023, you could jump over it as well. <laughs> but if you're listening to this way down the road, thank you, but it'll probably be over. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. I'll cut it out of the audio. Um, so yeah, let's just say hi to everybody. Goose here. Hello, Pans. Hello there, Pans. Hello, Mr. Michael. Good day. Corbin, hello. <laughs> Corbin says, this is so far to my range that it's got my attention. Tell me your words, story man. I will do it. Uh, Ms. Ashley and Mr. Jimmer here. MT, hello. Teresa, of course. Always a pleasure to have all of you joining in for the stream. So, where we left off in the story, brief recap if I can, the group that I mentioned previously, artists Mave, Ran, Kip, and Petal, were sailing on their ship, the Miss Dandelion, when a storm caused the ship to sink. Uh, While the five of them and uh, half, a little less than half the crew survived, Uh, they lost half the crew, including their captain, uh, who uh, has been with the ship for a very, very, very long time. Uh, He has been... uh, captain of that ship since Dandelion herself, since she she took over the ship, which is Petal's mother. So the loss of the ship and him and members, their friends on the crew, was a, a big loss. They were saved by a community primarily made up of minotaurs who live along the beach, uh, have a small community along the ocean, although there are some other races in there, and uh, led by a minotaur named Brota, a young man uh, who is leading a community of pacifists. Uh, He was once a great warrior for a Minotaur community, and when he walked away from violence, uh, those who served under him walked away as well, and they built this community, which was a little bit of a tension point for Maeve, who's also a Minotaur, a paladin in the group, um, who believes that there's always good things out there worth fighting for, so she struggled a little bit with that. Um, They learned that It's possible their ship had not been sunk from Quintius, who is a magical artifact uh, scepter that is being held by artists, or carried by artists, but was lost in the storm. They thought lost in the ocean. Turns out had been captured, as as well as much of their other personal materials, um, had been taken by Dagger's Bay, which is a community not too far away, uh, led by Captain Redbeard, who has uh, been captain of and leader of that community for a long time, uh, a pirate's ca- uh, town or harbor, you might say, who works in trade and so on. Uh, they went there to see if they could get some information about it. And that's where they found out Quintius had been captured and that the mage who uh, worked for the captain had been trying to magically break the wards that protected Quintius in order to control the artifact himself. Uh, A mage named Selenian, who was a sea mage. They determined that they needed to basically somehow get in there and get their stuff back, but the keep is well protected, so they basically learned how to surf from Broda and his community. The basics of it. They're not professional. And they basically used the surfboards to float in at night into the back of the cove and climb up and make their way inside the keep. Once inside the keep, they snuck around to try to get to the mage's chambers where they thought Quintius might be, in the hopes that once they get him, he can help them find the rest of their belongings and get out with as little bloodshed as possible. Brode and his people helped them get to the keep, but did not enter with them, as, again, they do not fight and would not be able to help them in combat in any way. So they're in there by themselves, and they found they went down some stairs and found a set of doors, opened up those doors to what they believed to be the chamber or area where the mage lived or was uh, keeping their stuff, only to find that once they opened the door, the mage was there with a large man with a red beard and a whole bunch of their warriors. It seems they had been expected. And that is where we left off. I'm going to open this drink and try not to spill it, as I've spilled the last two today that I've opened. I was successful this time. Wet my whistle. Did you ever want to know the origin of the term wet my whistle? I collect word origins. Let me know. I'll tell you sometime. So, um, yeah, that's where we kind of left off. So we're going to jump right into there, continuing from where we left off, and then moving forward with the story. So, again, thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell this story. For the hundredth episode in a row, I uh, this has gone on much, much longer than I ever expected it to as I'm currently writing new material. you know, It started off with me telling the story that's happened over the last 30 years of my life running this as a D&D campaign for multiple groups in a homebrew world named Merged Worlds. Um, and now we're continuing the story with you all. So thank you for giving me that opportunity to uh, eventually... Hopefully, finish this tale one way or another. Right. All right. We we'll start a little bit of reading. I'm gonna jump on in. So remember, the last thing that happened was psh, kicked open the doors. Well, quietly. They're trying to be sneaky. There's the mage. There's a big dude with red beard, Captain Redbeard, obviously, and <laughs> obviously, and then a whole bunch of, of of their warriors. I knew you would not abandon such a powerful artifact so easily," <clears throat> said Selenian. He's the mage. And now that I have you, breaking its wards will be even much easier. The mage stood there, a wicked smile on his face. Beside him stood a large, burly man with a long red beard. There were more than ten well-armed men in the room with them. So, when I say more than ten, probably between thirteen or fourteen is about how many people first guess. The chamber itself is a round chamber, and there are four large pillars it's underground, holding it open. The ground would have all the decorations of chalk signs and magical wards and all the stuff you'd expect from a uh, magical or mage's, you know, uh, laboratory, laboratory, whatever. Uh, There's several wooden tables along the outer walls with glass beakers and stuff on them and probably some corpses of some kind and plants growing and some plants not and things of that nature. In the center of the room... Uh, Right behind, where the mage and the uh, captain are standing, is a large stone table, much heavier. Um, And when I say stone table, I mean that it's a flat stone block, probably seven, eight inches thick. Um, And then there are two more, uh, which look almost just like rocks set there. That it's, ba- that it's sitting on, but it's very flattened out. Like It's, it's been set that way on purpose. Uh, the table, that table, much too heavy to lift, even for uh, a minotaur of that nature. Very heavy. Probably took a lot of people to get it down in here. But something of that nature would be easier to survive different types of, let's say, experiments, things of that nature working with corrosive materials, all the type of stuff you'd expect a mage to do while investigating, maybe trying to make potions and things of that nature. So the top of it is scarred and burnt and marked up in many different ways. It's not meant to be an altar of any kind. It's not used that way. So there are tools of the trade sitting on top of it, if you would. The room is, like I said, a good-sized room. It's got several tables around the outside, but there's plenty of room for these people to be. Um, live and then watch the others. Oh, Matt Smith says, "Wow, I'm late to this dogma." We'll watch this live and then watch the others. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's here on YouTube or on all the audio podcasts. It's a story beloved to my heart. So hopefully you will you will enjoy it. Um, so yeah, that's the layout of the room. Obviously, they're about that, probably maybe perhaps have a fight scene here. So you got to know the layout, right? The four pillars themselves <clears throat> are pretty pretty are round, uh, pretty thick, but just solid solid pillars. They're not decorative or carved or anything of that nature. <clears throat> probably about uh, one and a half to two feet in uh, thickness. Okay? So enough that someone could, small person could probably duck behind them if they needed to. No one is, but that's a bit of the layout. We've got the captain and we've got Selenian, the mage, standing there. There's no table or anything between them and our heroes who have just come down the stairs. But there is, you know, like I said, all the guards and warriors and such are kind of fanned out blocking them, so our heroes would have to get through the armed warriors to get to them, obviously. That's how you'd set this up, right? So the element of surprise had been lost for them, obviously, but the companions took heart in the knowledge that Quintius had not yet been harmed, right? Because the mage just said that. Now that you're here, and I've got you in my clutches, breaking into the the artifact will be even easier, because he knows it's theirs, He took it from their ship. Yes, he was the cause of it, though how, they don't know yet. Uh, Quintius implied as much. But the fact that he hasn't broken in yet brings heart to them. They all kind of recognize it, maybe look at each other for a second, like, okay, sweet. At least we know he hasn't gotten that far. we still got a chance of saving Quintius here. So that's something that's a positive in this situation. Artis, ignoring the mage, addresses Redbeard directly. There is no need for this to come to bloodshed. We seek only the return of that which is rightfully ours. I don't know what the mage here has told you, but the artifact he speaks of will not bring you power or wealth. And that's true to, to, to a majority of the degree, right? Uh, Quintius is a powerful artifact. Maybe the mage could find a way to siphon magic from it and such but it's a clerical artifact it was created by a cleric and is basically run by the gods itself it is a tool of the gods so you know they're never going to be able to just take it and use its powers and it's in the way that it's set up now Um, as for selling it who would buy it right maybe an evil cleric just to destroy it or try to somehow convert it uh, good clerics might, but what's a good cleric going to pay for something? Obviously, they're going to say, "Well, how did you get this? You know, what are you doing with this holy relic?" Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of questions trying to sell it to someone who genuinely would want to have it or use it. So, uh, this isn't something that's going to bring them a lot of wealth or power. And she's kind of lying there a little bit. Hopefully they don't realize quite how powerful Quintius really is. Because even they don't know quite how powerful. He's had a couple big shows of, of what he can do, but they've barely tapped into the beginnings of Quintius's abilities. Red mage, uh, sorry, Redbeard and the mage looked at each other for a moment and then began to laugh. There will be no bargaining here, said the mage. I'm in charge here. "'I thought Captain Redbeard was in command,' said Maeve. "'Again the two men laughed. "'I am Captain Redbeard,' said the mage. "'I have been for over 300 years.'" By the way, he's elven, in case I forgot to mention that. I mentioned it when I first introduced him, but I hadn't mentioned it today. He's an elven mage. "'I have been for 300 years. "'My friend here is just the current man to wear my title openly. "'I earned many enemies in my years on the seas.'" it's much easier to avoid assassins and move about freely if I appear to be only the captain's mage only the most trusted men know this mattddy gestures to the guards in this room which would imply that they know that secret plus they're probably a little bit higher ranked probably a little bit more capable of doing what their job is so he says only only my most trusted men know this he continued and now you of course none of you will live long enough to tell anyone there came a commotion from behind them up the stairs. Remember, they were coming down some stairs. They're really at the bottom of the stairs. They've barely entered into the room yet. You know, Artis looks back real quick to see, and more men behind us, my lady, said Derek, was, uh, one of the Miss Dandelion's crew, because remember, they brought six members of the surviving crew from Miss Dandelion with them. Two of them they left guarding the cave entrance that they came in. The other four are with them, Kind of in the back, right? Because, you know, they're not, they're capable, but they're not quite as capable as our party, our our main heroes, if you will. So they've kind of got them in the back, right? So they hear more men coming from the back. They're being flanked. And Dirk, one of the members of the crew, makes them aware of this. You men hold the stairs, commanded Maeve. We'll deal with this lot. That's just kind of how they talk. That's their thoughts, right? They're very, they're very confident. Selenian, of course, only sneers and, and kind of uh, ironically and orders his men to kill them. So, you know, if this was Dungeons and Dragons' actual playing, this is when I would say roll for initiative, right? Because that's how this works. <laughs> this is how I would have set up the combat if this was being played out with a group. So, uh, at this point, the party enters into combat. So, the four members of the crew are primarily going to be defending the stairs. Luckily, they're in a stairwell, right? The other group may have higher ground, but they're trying to come downwards into a narrow place. It's a pinch point. I like to call it that, which I'm not the first person to, but it's a pinch point. Only so many can come down the stairs at once, right? So, it's going to be much easier for those four to try to hold off those people, at least for a longer period of time. Uh, Hello, Chrissy. So, that's primarily their job. That opens up the remainder of our party to take on what's in the room. Now, let's take stock here. We have Maeve, who's our Minotaur Paladin, who at this point has a sword, just a regular longsword. Not the huge, custom, two-handed minotaur sword that she normally carries, right? Or Giant Slayer, the big, two-handed human sword that she took from the Kingdom of Caradon, which is one of the only artifacts or loot that they pulled out of that place. Well, it's a magic item, but they pulled out of that place. Both of those are huge swords, which is what she's normally used to using. She can fight perfectly well with this sword, but she won't be fighting doing the same type of damage she normally would. She also doesn't have a shield, because it just wasn't possible for her to find a big shield and carry it on a uh, surfboard. They were limited in how much they could carry. Um, Artis has her has a, a sword or a morning star as well. Probably She's still probably back to having her morning star. would have got a morning star, because she doesn't use bladed weapons. Um, Petal lost her hoop pack, which is a special kender weapon. Uh, she lost her Hoopak when the ship sank. Whether it's here or not, they don't know. It wasn't magical in any way. It was just a regular Hoopak that she'd made, uh, which kind of a rite of passage for all kender. So she has a small staff that she brought with her that could have easily been made. Cut the top off, so a kender-sized quarter staff, if you will, which is probably a quarter of a quarter staff, which would kind of make it an eighth staff, if you think about it. Right <laughs> now. Kip has daggers. He's a swordsman as well, so he has a sword, but he also has his daggers on his belt. The only one who actually has his weapons is Ran, his original weapon, because he still had his custom swords, which are katanas, which is what he wields, that were made for him by his father katana so that his sword he still managed to bring back with him so he still has it so he's still fighting at normal ran capabilities but most everyone else is fighting with something other than what they normally fight with but at the same time things that they're trained and capable of using Okay, so they're not coming at this from a, a huge negative if you were to look at it from a D&D stats point of view no one has a negative in their attacks they just might not be getting all of the burn bonuses and perks of attacking with a weapon that they're specialized in which that'll make more sense if you play 2nd edition or the older versions, but that's the how I roll. So, battle attacks. First thing that's going to happen, Ran and Maeve are going to step forward first. They're going to try to take on the front lines. They are the two most capable warriors. Um, Artis and Kip will be coming right after them. Artis in this situation with the numbers will not be able to stand back and just be clerical. She's going to have to thump skulls. There's just too many for her to stay in the back as a squishy. So the four of them are going to kind of defend Petal, who is their mage, who's going to be standing behind them, trying to cast spells, because there's another mage out there. Her, her number one goal is to try to tie up that mage or take out that mage, so that way he can't cast his spells against their friends, or her friends. Whereas his goal would be to do the same with her. So the mages are fighting from the back, all the warriors are attacking in front. Petal's defended from behind, currently by those four other members of the crew. So, they jump into attack. Now, the mage, Selenian, immediately begins casting a spell, as does Petal. One thing that they, everyone does notice is as the guards charge in, the man, who is like Redbeard, who has the red beard, right? The guy who the world thinks is Captain Redbeard, is kind of staying in the back with the mage. He's not rushing in. He's a big, burly dude, right? He's a big guy. He's not like... Fat and shape. He's a big muscular dude. He fits exactly what you'd expect from a big muscular pirate um, with a big red beard and a shaved head, but a big red beard. He's kind of hanging back with the mage. Now, maybe his job is to help protect the mage. That could be so. But he's not rushing into combat. So everybody's kind of coming in. Now, because the room is round, it can't be they they really it can't be flanked. They've got a wall to their backs. And only several of the attacking men can really come at them at any given time, right? You imagine it like a bowl. If they're lining, the four of them are kind of here on the bottom of the bowl, and it's rounded, you got ten guys coming, the, the ones on the edge kind of have to get stuck as the middle ones move forward. And so it it makes it so that heroes only have to uh, defend against several at a time, although with the size of the room, that several is still more than an equal amount of four. They probably have at least six or seven able to reach them with weapons early on. Now, none of the enemy happens to have any ranged weapons that they see at this point. No one's whipped out any quarter stabs or bows. And in a closed quarter combat like this, wouldn't serve as well. Crossbows might have been helpful, but they'd be shooting from behind their own men good the chance they'd have shot him in the back. So there's no ranged weapons being used uh, by either side other than potentially the mage. Ziz. Mages, I should say. Plural. So immediately they start in there. As always... Petal pops off a Magic Missile. She's still a relatively low-level mage. She's getting up there. But she doesn't have any big, huge, fireball-like spells. And if she did, again, close quarters, this isn't the place to use them. Magic Missile's guaranteed to hit her target. It's a quick spell. And by using it, it's possible she can disrupt her or try to inflict some damage on Selenium very quickly. So she starts with that. Well, Ran and Kip on one side. So it's kind of like Maeve and Ran in the middle. Artis is beside Maeve, and Kip is beside Ran. So it's Kip, Ran, Maeve, Artis. That's kind of the line in in the order there. Right off the bat, Maeve, of course, as always, is their biggest plus. Because she's literally their biggest. Her reach is further than anyone else's. It's very hard for the enemy to ever get in close to her with as far as she can reach out with her extra long arms. Now, having her extra long sword would have been better, but even with a regular long sword, she's got that reach. So it makes them, the enemy, have to be very careful when they come into an attack. But they do have numbers on their side, and they're skilled. That's important. These are not just fodder running in. These are higher-ranked people in this organization. They have training, and they have good equipment on. And they know how to use it. So they're not just rushing in blindly. This is a straight-up back-and-forth fight. Now, uh, so for all intents and purposes, evenly matched. Um, But the the size of the chamber and their layout helps the heroes a little bit. Now, even though Petal successfully gets off her spell and does hit the mage, it's not enough to break his concentration. And he's able to unleash a spell of his own. And all... of the heroes, including Petal, not the ones up in the stairs, they're, they're blocked from this, immediately feel pressure, almost like a strong wind is blowing them backwards. Um, and Petal has the hardest time against that. She's very small, very light, and it, it's catching her robes, and it's disrupting her. It's literally, she feels herself being pushed backwards. And um, Whereas Maeve has the least amount of effect to her. It's just some wind, and it's not that big of a problem. But it's a strong wind that's affecting them, but not their enemies. It's important. Keep track of that. Okay. So, Petal, not knowing what else to do, decides to try a fire spell. That's her next thing she's going to try to do. It's a closed room. She has a burning, a burning hand spell, which fires out a cone of fire ahead of her. For this spell, she has to step up and kind of poke in next to her friends, they would be aware of this. She would give out some type of commander warning, letting her know, hey, this is what I'm doing. So they know she's going to poke up beside them and cast this spell through them. Because if she does it behind them, she will burn all her friends. Nobody wants that. So she steps up and lets out a burst of flame with her spell. As, you know, she has to force herself forward because of that wind, but she steps forward and blows the fire. This has pros and cons. She successfully casts the spell, and it does hit the first couple of people right in front of uh, Maeve and Ran, who she stepped up in between. Um, But the wind is blowing the fire back, and she can't keep it going for long because it's going to then come back on her and her friends, her allies, if you will. But she does catch two guys on fire who start stumbling backwards but are very quickly replaced by two more guys. Okay. Now, the wind immediately stops. Because at this point, has had to has cast a spell at the men, which has freed up Selenian, who is casting another spell at the party. And then suddenly, not only is the wind back, but so is water. It's literally raining indoors in the building, and it's coming at them. Um, it's hitting their enemies in the back. So, it is hitting them as well, but it seems to be much more focused on the heroes. And with it coming at their face, it's like walking into a very stormy weather. If you've ever been outside and it's windy and stormy coming at your face, it affects your vision. You go hold your hand up, trying to block the rain pinning your face. For the enemy, it's hitting their back. It might be cold and kind of windy, but it's not affecting their ability to move or such. And so, and on top of that, the water helps douse the fire that Petal has just let loose with her spell. So. Artis is very 1-1 at this point. She's fighting a person, and they're going back and forth. The person has a sword, and she's having to sword fight with the dude, except she's using a morning star, much like her mother does. She's trained to do so. She has experience doing this, but it does put you in a little bit of a disadvantage because you don't swing a morning star the same way you handle a sword. So this this is a struggle for her. The other person is going to be quicker, and if he gets a little slip in, It could be a cut where she gets a little slip and it might be a bunk. Not quite the same effect if she doesn't get some strength behind it. So Maeve is trying to help cover her. Now, Artis, as I said, is on her right-hand side and Maeve is right-handed. So her sword is closest to Artis, so she can reach in occasionally and help defend Artis against who Artis is fighting. But that does leave her a bit open, so she has to be careful in that regard. But Maeve very quickly takes down one of the guys that have stepped in in place of the burning guys. Uh, The guy, literally, the wind and water was enough to bother him. And Maeve, who is stronger, is less affected by it, is able to successfully run a man through very quickly. So one of the enemy drops. On the other side, Kip and Ran are having a much better time of it. Kip and Ran have been training to fight together. They have now for months. They're a couple. They've been together for a while. They spend all their time together, and they've learned how to mesh their two fighting styles together. Because well, while Ran is a fighter per se, he's, we've mentioned before, he's very much like a, a, a fighter thief, if anything. He's almost like a dual class. He has a lot of the training from his father, who is the same way. So Kip and Ran have now really got a pattern down of how to fight together, much the same way that Maeve and artists have, and with they've learned to fight with Petal. And he's learned with them as some as well. He's learned to complement them. But with Kip, he's not the one complimenting Kip. Ran is the force, and Kip is complimenting him. It's very much where Ran is cutting someone or or parrying, and then Kip sneaks in and, and gets a stab underneath that attack. Ran is doing the lion's share of that fight and making openings for Kip to come through. And as we've learned, Kip has been teaching Ran to not hold back. His whole life, he's been got to fight honorably, so on and so forth. But Kip has been teaching him, hey, if you're going to survive out here and you're going to protect these people, particularly Artis, who is your princess, who you've spent your whole life devoted to protecting the royal family, that's why you're here, you're worrying about whether you're being honorable in combat and stuff is going to get her killed. He's learned this lesson. And so Kip is basically teaching him to no longer hold back his punches. So the two of them very quickly start mowing several people down. That's the easiest way to say it. They are literally, because there's just, you know, and working in concert as they have, they've become quite effective at it. They've had a lot of time to practice in several situations in which to put that practice to use. So the fight moves like this over the next several minutes, moving forward and back, a couple people falling, Um, sure, even couple of the heroes even ran, or maybe they may take some small hits and cuts, but no one's taken any major type of wound at this point. But the spells coming from Selenian are a huge disadvantage, and they're becoming too much. And Petal can't th- find anything in her list of abilities or spells that's going to be able to fight against what he's doing. He's a sea mage. That's his specialty, wind and water. He's probably got some fire as well, but wind and water are his primary tools, and he's using them very effectively. And he's casting the spells quickly, too quickly, and that's important. If you'll remember, earlier when they talked to Quintius and he said, hey, this mage is trying to break down my wards, he's unnaturally powerful. He's saying, this person who's standing in front of me should not be as powerful as he is, and yet he is using powers that should not be within his scope or capabilities. And now he's casting spells at them faster and with more effect than he, he should be. And only Petal would really recognize that, but she does. So she's trying to find what can she do to help even that out. She's very limited in this regard. Now, After the spell has run its course, she whips out a couple more magic missiles. They cut through, and they do hit him enough to kind of stagger that wind-rain spell that he's doing. But then he he brings his attention back to her again. And he begins casting a spell, and she recognizes this as a fire-based spell. And she calls out to her friends. Incoming fire spell, something along those lines, something that they would be used to. They've been training their whole lives together. She would know how to give warnings and what to say. So, sure enough, a big gout of flame busts from his hands, and he ignores the fact that it starts toasting two of his guys from behind, which, even those people probably don't like that too much, in the heat of battle, who notices? And he just toasts two guys from behind, and the flames come in towards Petal, but to do that, it's coming in kind of between Maeve and Rand. The fire just begins to hit them, and Maeve is starting to feel the burn. And the two guy in front of her, he starts screaming because he's got flames shooting him in the back. Maeve doesn't even have time to finish him off. She turns and, kind of pushing past Pedal grabs one of those wooden tables that I mentioned is against the wall and heaves it forward. Now, it's heavy. She's not tossing it across the room, throwing a table at the mage. It'd be great if she could. table's a little bit big for that. But she does flip it over and pull it enough that Pedal and Artists are able to hop behind it a little bit to help block the brunt of that fire. Maeve tucks behind it, but she's so big it doesn't do much from her. So she's just kind of getting burned some down the arm as while well, this is happening. If that makes sense, if you guys are following the picture there. If you have any questions, feel, feel free to let me know. Battle-heavy story today. Don't worry, it doesn't last forever. About that time... while Artis and Petal are kind of ducked behind this table, flames shooting overhead of them. The spell doesn't last super long, but they have to stay undercover while they can. And several of his men are now jumping out of the way as well, like, hey, we don't want to get toasted. Let's let this spell finish up, and then we'll come in and do cleanup. Artis and Petal are hidden behind that table, and then suddenly, there's a third person next to Artis. Instinctually, she prepares to swing her weapon, but very quickly realizes that the person beside her is the image of Quintius. If you're new here, Quintius is that magical artifact I've been talking about, who has the ability to take on almost like a... um, look uh, very realistic, looks like a a person standing there, but it's just a projection of a form or the form that his soul originally was before it became part of this magical item. Um, And only artists can see and hear him. Uh, She was chosen to be his wielder by the gods, so he says. Um, And so only she can see and hear what he says. And he appears and immediately the first thing that artists can see is he looks haggard. The skin, his face is so shrunken on him, he looks almost skeletal. His Even his arms and hands are thin, almost like bones. He just looks like he's almost completely drained at this point. And when he speaks to her, he does so with a raspy voice. Like he's like he's been... It's like someone who's been screaming all day and his voice is about to give out. So it only comes out as a whisper even though he's trying to yell. Okay? Give you that mental picture. and And... Immediately, she's heartbroken, right, because she only knows him as the young, you know, image of the dude that she's supposedly known all her whole life, right? When she was just a little toddler, he started appearing as an imaginary friend, and she didn't realize it was what Quintius really was until this quest began. So, if some of you do go back and listen to this, some of that will make more sense when you hear that story. (laughs) Sorry for the surprise. But, uh, <laughs> sorry, episode 100. There's going to be a spoiler now and again, right? <laughs> for 100 previous, or 99 previous episodes. So, Quintius appears. And while well, this noise of battle and fighting and flames and spell casting and some people screaming because they're rolling on the ground because they're in fire, and even Maeve yells out in pain at this point because she's literally starting to burn off some of the hair on her arm. Starting to burn into her skin. Quintius manages to say the amulet. It's his amulet. And that's all she can hear. His mouth is still moving like he's trying to say things, but that's all she can hear over the din of sound. She immediately turns to Petal and says, Quintius says it's his amulet. Or the mage's amulet. Quintia says it's the mage's amulet. Do you know what he's talking about? And Petal's like, let me look. And stands up. And Artis is like, what are you doing? Petal pops up real quick as the flame is kind of ending. And now that some people are rushing in with weapons, she's like, whoop, that's not good. And pokes back down again. But while she's up there, she does see that hanging from his neck appears to be more decorative. Is almost like a—it's a, 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 a seashell. And it's the classic Nautilus sh- type of seashell, if you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of, that's just spiral, almost like a snail kind of thing, but it's small and then comes out to the top, which is kind of like an opening where the the inside thing would come out, it's like a sea snail. So it's a Nautilus type thing, and it's about that big around, round. And it's much like uh, 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 the size of a holy symbol that most of the clerics, like artists, is currently wearing. Um, but it's not a holy symbol, I want to stress that. Uh, Aquatius, god of the sea, does have his own holy symbols that his clerics would, would use. Uh, and while any sea mage worth his two cents worships and prays to Aquatius, the god of seas, um, seas and storms, but uh, this is not a holy symbol. But she can see that the mage is holding his hand on it as he's casting a spell. So this amulet, this necklace, this whatever this shell is, is very likely what's giving him this boost of power he's not supposed to have. Quintius has figured this out and is getting that information to Artis and her friends in the hopes that it can benefit them in this situation. Ducking back down, she looks at Artis and goes, Yeah, he's got one. We're going to have to get it. And before Artis can say anything, Petal turns and runs around the table right into the line of scrimmage. Once again, I will remind you that Petal is half-Kender, and sometimes uh, her her feet move faster than her mind. I say that not in a bad way. She's not stupid, but she's a, that very whole throw caution to the wind. Okay, let me do it. Jump in. That Kender jump first, ask how deep it is or how dangerous it is later kind of thing, uh, she still falls prey to, especially in a situation like this where shit's hitting the fan. Right? In a situation where she has time to plan and such, logical, she's a mage. She's a wild mage, which opens up a whole other part, but she's still a mage who can focus. But in the heat of battle, and this and that, and looking for this, and she gets an idea, she's going to jump on it in a heartbeat. So she runs around the table and into the line of scrimmage. She's tiny. She's half-kender. A little tiny little thing. She barely comes up to the waists of most of these men. And so... Again, imagine if you were in a fight with people and there's tons of adults and you're all fighting and some little five-year-old kid's running around your feet. You don't have time to deal with that. You're fighting a sword battle here. There's a minotaur that you barely come up to its chest and it's trying to chop your head off. You're focused. You don't have time to deal with this toddler running around your feet, especially if it just, just zips by. So Petal's quickly able to start maneuvering between these people, but she is putting herself in harm's way because you'll remember mage is not completely alone back there. He does have an ally standing guard with him. Maeve sees Petal run in, and her heart just falls like, oh, God, why? What is this? Because she didn't hear what Artis said. She just sees Petal take off into the combat, and Maeve's like, I don't know how to deal with this. I am trying to keep us alive. I can't get over there. Artis, of course, hops back up, and just kind of hops over the table if they're trying to move forward because several men of the enemy are down at this point. Artist is up, fighting with them, yells out to her companions, the mage has a magical amulet. Okay? This does two things. This lets her allies know that that is a threat. That's something that they have to focus on. But by yelling that out the only way to let them know this they're also letting him know they know about the amulet this is of course a concern for him hearing this yelled out we've got to get we've got to do something about his amulet or something along those lines right he's going to be like crap they know about my amulet that's not cool and so now he's going to be more hard pressed to try to take them down quickly and begins casting another spell Hearing this and looking at the, because you know, they're all everybody's eyes, even the enemies fighting your own like, he's got a magic amulet. I mean, you know, they may some of them may know that, but it just got yelled out in the heat of battle. He's got to do something his amulet. What's his amulet? He's got an amulet. Oh, I'm still gonna kill you. You know, there, there's still combat going on, but everyone's focus for at least a moment is going to be turned, and maybe some of them, including the mage, sees Petal come jumping into the line, running through people, but someone else who notices that is Kip. Kip sees Petal running as she she can and dodging attacks, because people are still trying to attack her now. She's running in there. Kip can only swear in anger. And he basically yells out to Ran real quick, I'm going after her. Now... To the group, especially Ran, it's very heroic. He's always seemed to have a soft spot to help protect Pedal. He's going to—he's going in after. He's putting himself in danger to try to help Pedal. Excellent. That's a heroic thing to do. Ran would respect that. But to those of us who know, cannot help wonder if there are ulterior motives for why he's doing that. With a burst, Kip literally starts busting through people. And Ran, attacking wildly, kind of with an unexpected way. Starts maybe attacking slightly different, a little bit more chaotic, That the enemy has to step back. Kip uses that moment to try to burst through to help pedal. Now at this time, four of the enemy are burned, or burning, or in pain on the ground. Two additional have just been completely taken out. Hello, Ancient One. Good day, sir. Um, two, of, two of it's been completely tattooed. Maeve ran one through. Ran and Kip have taken a couple. And there's another one or two injured on the ground. In this time, all four of them have taken some sort of minor injury. They're not going to come through this unscathed. Of all of them, Maeve is the most injured. Because not only has she taken several sword attacks... Uh, her left arm, which she was using to kind of brace herself, is just the hair is gone and the skin on it is just kind of bubbled up and boiled and burned. Like she this arm is in a lot of pain for her right now. Right? She's probably not her fingers. She probably had her fist up as best she could, but it's the although just a little above the elbow, all the way down to her wrist, the hair is gone on the back of her arm and the skin is horribly burned. She's right-handed primarily, although she can fight ambidextrously. If she needs to. Um, which is something to know if you're playing Dungeons & Dragons. If you're going to roll your own character. Ask your DM if you're left-handed or right-handed or whether you get to pick. And if it's possible, your character can be ambidextrous. Whenever we roll a D&D character, I roll to see if someone's ambidextrous or not. I'll let them choose left or right-handed. I don't care. They can choose whatever they like. But whether or not someone's ambidextrous, which means the ability to use left and right hand equally. At least insofar as combat. That's all d cares about, right? That's something that I roll for when I roll characters. And it's a small percentage. Not everyone can pull a Princess Bride and say, I'm not left-handed either. I mean, not everybody can do that. That's why that was such a cool scene. You either fight with one hand or the other, right? Or shield with the other hand or something. Maybe daggers being a little bit different there. A little more likely to be able to fight two-handed, but one hand is still the primary weapon. To be able to fight equally with two hands... Not everybody can do that. Maeve is. She's the only one in this group who can 100% fight ambidextrously. Ran is close. But his is through training, not from birth. He wasn't born with that skill. He's been trained to fight with two hands. But he still favors his right hand. Um, Maeve literally can pick up a weapon with her left or right hand and fight as equally as well without having to focus on it. That's just a skill that she has that she was born with. As well as other things. Throwing and catching. She can throw and catch something with her left hand just as well as she can her right hand. She still only writes with one hand. That's different. That's not combat. It's not the same uh, agility type factor to it. Um, but these are things, if you have a D&D character, we can discuss if you ever get to play with me. Which, we'll see. Um, so anyways, this is going, on, going off on a tangent. Apologize. You want to get back to the combat. So Kip surges in, and as he goes through, he has a sword and dagger. That's that's his primary fighting. He can dual wield daggers, but he's primarily sword and dagger. He does not use uh, a shield in any way. He still does fight two-handed, but long weapon backup dagger, that's a normal two-hand fighter who's not ambidextrous. Small, big weapon, small weapon. Um, sometimes he will use his guitar. But he doesn't have that, because he lost that in the sinking of the ship. But he is a musician. He is a bard. And if he has that, or a harp, he could probably use a harp as a weapon, too. Relatively successfully. But in this situation, he d- cuts forward, and as he's jumping through these two people, that knife literally just cuts along the side of one guy's neck. And Ran is able to run that dude through while parrying another guy. And this allows Kip to kind of burst through, so that he's kind of in front now, past the line of scrimmage where several of the guys are down so there's not a lot of backups there, which puts the mage and fake Captain Redbeard right in front of him, pedal coming through the same way from the other side. Right? Follow me on this. Now, there is still one or two other soldiers, or a guards, whatever you want to call them, that work for Redbeard, that did kind of hang back in a defensive position of the mage and fake captain. That's their job. They're not all going to run in there crazy. So at this point, there's still two of them and then Redbeard and the mage. Fake Redbeard. We're just going to call him Redbeard because he has a red beard. Follow me. And then we have Artis and Maeve and Ran now are back are fighting the men that are left, but Ran is having to pull double duty. If that makes sense. Because now he doesn't have Kip watching his side. The same amount of space, now he's still fighting two people without having a, a sidekick there. Now, it's at this moment... Oh, because if they did run in there all out crazy, they'd be acting out of madness. Exactly. I mean, these people are trained. And sometimes, you know, you're fighting some goblins or some kobolds, they may just run in there blindly and, you know, kamikaze type kind of thing. Uh, But as I mentioned, these are trained, and they have probably worked for these guys for a while. They're trained to kill the enemy, but also trained to protect uh, real Redbeard and fake Redbeard, right? That's their jobs. They've been given those jobs. Now, about this time, Maeve, worrying about her friends, starts flexing. And I say not like... "Mm." Here's my muscles. But flexing as if she starts doing some, I don't want to say better combat. If you've ever watched a movie where there's a fight scene, or if you've ever watched any type of combat or something of that nature, and suddenly someone you care about is in danger or someone's about to die, the hero kind of gets that second wind, right? That second burst of oh no, I can't let this happen, and they start pushing harder. Even though they're getting tired, or they're getting worn out, or they've been injured, it's that burst of adrenaline, fear for others, which Maeve is seeing, who she sees herself as a protector of all these people, the same kind of hang-up that Ran has, but in a different way. She's a protector. She's a paladin, even though she doesn't have all of her armor with her right now. She sees this, and she starts doubling down and starts going hard against the two guys that she's currently fighting. And one of the guys, guard, she gets past. And while deflecting, she just hauls off and hoofs this guy. She doesn't have a hoof, she has a foot. But she kicks. I call it hoofing. She kicks this guy hard, and the guy literally goes f- f- flying backwards. Maeve's got some strength. She's a huge fucking Minotaur. Kicks him in the stomach, and this, this guy just goes back at least three or four feet, but crumbles to the ground gasping. He's not dead. Maybe broke some ribs. Got him in the stomach. Lower ribs, possibly. But completely knocked the wind out of this guy. But doing so, left her a bit open. And the other man that she's fighting stabs her in the front but in the side, if that makes sense. like This is her body on the side of it and it goes through. And she cries out in pain and, he, of course, in in pushes him back, and so it pulls the sword back out, which just makes it hurt even more. But she takes a big stab to her abdomen, to her side, and it goes clean throughout the back. But again, not right in the front, more on the side where it's mostly meat. But it still hurts, and there are body parts in there. There's things that could be damaged. It's a major wound. This infuriates Maeve. Normally she'd have armor in these situations to help against stuff like this. But the whole pressure of the whole situation, she's stuck here. Pedal's up there. These Some of the guys they're fighting have now turning as if they're going to go back and go after Pedal and Kip from behind. That's a concern. Maeve just gets furious. And the guy comes in with the sword again and she just takes that back side of that burned arm and just swacks the side of his sword. Probably cuts some, but it hurts so bad now as it is. Her arm's in shock. She doesn't add to the pain of it. Just kind of smacks the sword to the side and without thinking, instinctually shoves her head down as hard as she can and feels her horns pierce this man through his hard leather armor. Her horns, which are sharp as hell, she has two. Remember, Darsh lost one. She still has two. Well, they're not as long as a male's. They're still long. She literally gores this man. One horn, Kind of on an angle. And one goes right through the top of his neck and the other one through his side. So like, not kind of on an angle. And just these two horns go in and literally lifts her head back, raising this body from the ground, and then flings him. And he just goes across four to five feet, and hits the wall on the side. Just straight up gores this guy. Yes, gore attack, bite attack, uh, are attacks for Minotaurs in the second edition player's handbook. There are stats for this. I'm not just making it up. But <laughs> she straight up gores this man, pierces him right just below the throat, and that guy hits the wall so hard that you can hear the bones popping. Minotaur vampire. Jesus Christ. Never thought of that. That's funny. Uh, Ancient one said minotaur vampire. But (laughs) flam. The shock of that catches everyone by surprise. In the room. Everyone. Even the mage takes a step backwards at the sight of such a thing. Who sees that? Who sees that? Horns just sticking out the back of one of your dudes and then thrown against the wall. Even Artis is like, damn! She's never seen her do that before. That's, that's badass. Hmm. Kip is fighting the two guards. The two men that I said were still protecting. Fake Captain Redbeard. And Selenian. He's fighting them both as best he can. That just happened, which catches everyone's attention. And Kip uses that opportunity to slide past the defenses and run a man through. He falls to the ground, clutching this, the wound in his own chest. Leaves Kip facing one last guy. Pedal comes running in again, there just before that. And with very little else to do, hauls back with her staff and takes a swing at the mage. The mage sees her coming and in very little time to do anything reaches back to the table behind him and grabs his own and barely gets it up in time to parry her attack. Yes, the mages are having a staff battle. Petal is weaker than Selenian. He's an elven mage, but he's in pretty good shape. Sea mages aren't quite as skinny and scrawny as you. They work on boats. They do ropes and all this stuff. They still how to do boat stuff. They're in better shape. He's stronger than her, and several hundred years old. He's more experienced than she is. But Petal is a half-kender, and her agility is off the charts. Not quite as much as her mother dandy, but very, very high. And so she is fast, and she is nimble, and... Neither of them are using a bladed weapon, so the best they're getting is to try to bonk each other on the head or wrap a knuckle or something. Neither one of these guys are expert... Or mages, one's a girl. Neither one of them are expert staff fighters. But they're doing what they can. Kip sees this. Right to his side. Artist Maeve, who's still roaring and ran... Back there fighting several dudes. Kip doesn't know if there's any coming up behind him. Has this one dude he's fighting, and this guy is good. He's holding Kip at bay. He can't get by. Kip has to make a decision. He sees Pedal, and he does not think Petal's going to be successful. The guy's bigger, he's stronger. Yes, she's quick and nimble, but what's she going to do with that staff? Maybe she can get a spell off, but he might before she does. That's a problem. Kip has to make a decision. And so he does. Fainting an attack, Kip steps backwards and quickly throws the dagger that's in his offhand at the mage. This does two things. Number one, a dagger coming at the mage. The mage sees this. He sees Kip doing this. He's fighting Petal here, but it's still in front of him. Kip wasn't as close as Petal got. He's, those two guys were stopping him because he's scarier than Pedal is. She's a mage up, bro, and a kid-looking thing. So he throws that dagger. The mage easily ducks out of the way. Has to duck down to avoid the dagger hitting him in the head. Because Kip's pretty deadly going for the head. But he dodges it. The mage does. The second thing it does is it leaves Kip open. And the man that Kip is fighting runs him through in the stomach, right in the stomach. Kip, in pain, swings with his own sword, cutting the man under the neck, straight up into his jaw. And then it stops. It hits bone. Kip's not super strong like Mavis, is. And the two of them fall to the ground. the mage had ducked down, instinctually putting his hands up to defend himself as that dagger comes whipping in his area towards him. Just like this, puts his hands up. If you're listening to audio, he puts his hands up to defend himself. That's the opportunity that Petal needs. And she jumps in and reaches up and grabs that shell from around his neck and just yanks it. And it was being held on by a thin chain and the chain snaps. And she pulls that shell straight off and immediately jumps backwards. The mage, feeling this happen, swings with his staff, but misses because Petal jumps backwards. And in furiousness, grabs, not grabs, but raises his hand as if to cast another spell. I'm tired of your playing around here. I'm tired of messing with this little girl. That's the kind of look he's giving. You'll pay for that, you little thief, roared Selenian. He raised his hands and began to chant the words of a very powerful spell. Petal looked, but found no place to hide. Kip, with blood flowing from the wound in his stomach, managed to pull himself to his feet and step in front of her, placing himself between the wizard and his spell and Petal. The mage's voice hit a crescendo as he prepared to release his spell but suddenly stopped as a large blade exploded from his chest. The blade came from behind him and exploded out of his chest. So if you're looking at him, you just see this blade go sink right out of his chest. A big curved kind of blade. The mage looked down in shock and pain as the sword was pulled back from within him I mean he yanked it back out the mage fell to the ground standing there was the large red bearded man Hold your weapons the man yelled Unsure of what's going on. Fight continues. I said, hold your weapons, damn it. The other men that's still alive in the room step back, step out of combat. You know, they're not trying to block, they step out. Maven friends, same kind of thing. They're not sure what's going on. They didn't, maybe didn't catch all of that. <laughs> yes, Midnight, I'm a kitty. Kip falls to his knees in front of Pedal. Pedal catching him trying to keep him from falling right over mave is standing there blood flowing down her head none of it hers but just running off of her horns down in, in on you know down her clothes and stuff but battle stops and everyone's just kind of looking at each other for a moment Petal holding Kip trying to hold you know put a hand on her stomach trying to hold the blood that kind of thing looks up at the big bearded man in front of her and he looks down and just kind of smiles and says, Fortune favors the bold, doesn't it now? Hold your weapons, I say. Everyone's looking at the man, unsure of what's happening. I think that this is quite enough of all of this mess. Too many lives already lost here. Some of them not worth the time it took to raise them. Looking down at the mage. The bastard was willing to sacrifice every one of you for his own goals. Myself included. To be honest, I think we might be a little better off without him. The other guardsmen kind of looking at each other and looking at this big guy. And they're like, well, kind of, but he was the boss. You know, that's the kind of thought, the looks they're giving each other. You all work for me now, says the new Captain Redbeard. I don't think there'll be any questions about that. Everyone in the land knows that I'm in charge. I have been for years. Some of the other men are nodding like, well, yeah, yeah." everybody knows you're Captain Redbeard. That's what they know you as. He looks back at Artis and he says, unlike the former captain, I am open to negotiations. This is how I see things. We can go on fighting. I'll be honest. You and your friends probably will win in the end. Never seen fighters quite like you. But Some of your friends are hurt badly. Aren't going to make it through this. There's no need for that to happen. You and your friends can leave. Go. We'll not try to stop you. Hell, I'll even give you back your stuff. I have no use for your magical thing, thingamabobber. It's not going to do any good for me. You were right about that. And there's not a man here who could fit in that woman's armor, pointing at Maeve, huge paladin's armor. Take your things and go. Leave. But, you must never tell anyone what happened here today. Right? Because only the select few knew that Selenian was the real Captain Redbeard, right? I don't want this getting out that this is how I became in charge. None of you will ever speak at this again. And he says, now I know. I'm not asking you to lie. Saying this to artists. Artists is standing there with a holy medallion of the cleric of truth. Of course he's not going to lie. I'm not asking you to lie. I know that goes against what you stand for. I'm only saying that you and your friend, primarily looking at Mae, but your friend's will swear to never speak of anything that happened here today. You don't have to lie. Just never, ever talk about it, ever. And then you go, and none of you ever come back. Artists and their friends kind of look at each other like, I don't know if we can trust this guy. He's right. We're winning at this point. Without the mage, Petal's still pretty much unscathed. Maybe some bumps on her knuckles from the quarterstaff, but she's mostly unscathed. She does have some magic left. They don't know how much, right? They don't know how powerful she is, really. This is an opportunity. Petal holds her little hand out, and in it's still the amulet. I'm keeping this. Redbeard looks at her and says fine not a man here that could use it anyways but nothing but a bane for us. Besides we can uh, always deal with ships the old fashioned way which is implying that the amulet is how Selenian was able to cause storms to sink ships. It's a very powerful artifact. That's what they were doing. If you didn't catch on to that. They're still pirates we can still find loot and booty, you know, the old-fashioned way. Which, to be honest, for some of these guys, would probably be the preferred way than to trust at all the Selenian in his magical seashell. Artist says, we'll agree to those terms. You return us everything that you have that was ours. And allow us to leave freely and we'll never speak of this. You'll never see us again. We will never return to Daggers Bay. And you will not bring any harm to Broda and his people. Because remember, they knew that these guys were with Broda at one point, right? Like, they knew that. When he came into town, they came into town with Broda. They're going to know that. Captain says, Bargain. I'll agree to that. Broad and his people have always been good people. They don't cause any problems. And to be honest, they've made me quite a bit of money. It's all quite a bit of money. They keep bringing in those pearls. Because Remember, that's what they trade. We have no problem with him or his people. Best to understand, he'd never raise a weapon against us anyways. And there's a little chuckle because everybody knows he's a pacifist. Friends don't like that they chuckle, but they understand. New Captain Redbeard. Says to one of the guys, I don't know his name, we'll say it's Hank. Hank, take guard number two. Go get these people, There's things. It's all stacked in the room next door. Two guards nod, leave the room. And everybody just kind of stands there for about ten minutes, awkwardly, not saying anything. Because it's probably going to take a few minutes to gather all that stuff and bring it in here. You don't ever see that in the movies, but it's not instantaneous. These people all just have to stand. We just tried to kill each other. There's people on the ground groaning in pain, bleeding or burning. Um, you know, Mave's injured. Uh, Artist does step up and do what she can to do some healing on Kip to keep him from dropping dead in the middle of the floor. Nobody gets in the way to keep her from doing it. But to be honest with you, it's bad luck to kill a cleric. And she was probably the one they least likely would have been happy about killing anyways, to be honest with you. But for ten minutes, they just kind of all have to stand there waiting for, finally, Hank and guard number two to come back in lugging several large bags and maybe even dragging a relatively heavy chest behind them. Ran and Maeve go over and start looking through the stuff. Sure enough, her armor's there. Most of their weapons, the Hupak's gone. It had no value. They wouldn't have taken that. But her sword is in there. Uh, Mave's sword, as well as Giant Slayer, the other big sword that they took. Looking through, they also see several items that could be of value that aren't theirs. But they don't say anything about that. They're like, looks like it's all here. Now, they're not going to get the basic supplies back that may have, they may have gotten the ship. Food storage, coins, things of that nature. But they really don't need that. The personal effects are what they needed. And some of the stuff in there may have been personal effects from some of the crew, living or dead. So, they uh, you know they, that could have been some of the stuff that's in there as well. But everything that they really would want is there. Most importantly, is Quintius. Artis quickly and eagerly reaches out and Maeve hands Quintius to her. And the second Quintius hits her hand, the scepter begins to glow, lightly. This makes all of the other people who aren't part of her friends nervous and step back a little bit, like, what are you doing? And then Quintius appears before her, perfectly in health, the way she's used to seeing him. And he smiles and nods. Of course, she's the only one that can see this. Nobody else can. And she smiles back, happy to see that now that he's back in her hands, that literally rejuvenates her. Which rejuvenates him, I'm sorry. Which is part of the symbiosis of how Quintius works. And we're going to talk more about that in the future. But he's linked with her now. The gods have ordained it so. Ordained it so. I have a word there. The gods said so. You are now going to be our tool in her hand there comes a coexistence with that. Gathering their things as best they can. They call down some of the... because get up. They lost one of the... One of the four guys on the stairs were lost. The other three, while injured, are in fairly good shape. They come down and they help gather the things. New Captain Redbeard says, a couple of my men will lead you to a back entrance that'll lead you out... Of the uh, of Daggers Bay. I don't want you walking out the front door. I don't want anyone even knowing you were here. To everyone's recollection, this thing that happened here tonight never happened. And the wizard, well, he decided to move on somewhere else. And left the city late in the evening. But you folks were never here. My people will lead you down and lead you to a secret exit. Now, they make a comment. They're like, hey, well, we've still got two guys in a room guarding a door. We, we're going to need them, too. Rand says, after Rand's already checked on Kip, and Kip's like, I'm okay. Artist is going to help him walk. And Pedal is with his... He's using a little staff and stuff. Pedal's going to help him so Artis can help carry loot. Rand says, I can go get them. And does. He... The Redbeard's like, that's fine. He leaves, a couple minutes later, he comes back with the other two guys that were guarding the window, and they gather up all the stuff. Uh, Or the two guys come back, but not Ran. The two guys come back, and they tell him, hey, Ran went out the way we came in to let other people know what's going on. Right? Because Broda and them are waiting down at the bottom. Him and Lay's are like, boy, I hope everything's going okay up in there. Like They don't know what's happening at this point. So Ran's going to go out that exit, climb down the rope, and tell them and meet everybody out. Hates abandoning them, but it's the best route they can go at this point. Sure enough, Redbeard walks over and looks at Artis and holds out his hand as if to shake it. Artis confusingly does so. He goes, The bargain's been broken then. Brokered, not broken, let me clarify that. Brokered then. I never expect to see in my house ha- in, in, in Milan's again. Artist nods and kind of motions for her friends, two of the guards lead them. They lead them to a different part of the castle, or keep, to another set of doors that lead down, much like the doors they came in originally. This leads down into a cavernous system, and they find themselves walking for a distance. Now, there's only two men leading them. Uh, They greatly outnumber them, even though they're carrying several bags and packs, and, and Maeve is carrying a a big bag, which has all her armor over her shoulder, and her other arm's about useless at this point. She does have her own healing ability, and she was able to use that enough to staunch the blood flow and such in her wounds, but the burn is pretty serious. It's going to be there for a while. She uses her own lay-on-hand's ability to to stop it so she, her stab wound isn't, isn't as bad. And they're led down to a small cavern, which has a, a pool of water in it. There's a secret door that opens up and there's a little dock in there and there's a couple rowboats. It's a way for them to be able to sneak in, him and his men to sneak in and out. The door only opens from the inside. The rock literally parts and you slide out. No one knows about this. Maeve looks at these two men that have led them down there and says, we're taking one of these boats. Big enough to hold them all. The other men are like, hey, man, we're not, we're just told to bring you here. Because they just saw what these people did, right? Two of these guys were here. They survived. They may still have some injuries themselves. They don't want horns shoved through their chest so they get tossed across the room. They are not going to piss Mave off. So they're like, yeah, help yourself. Whichever boat you want, just get out. That's all we care about. They load their belongings onto the ship boat. It's a, it's a rowboat, but it's like a lifeboat-sized boat. It's not a little tiny one. They're all able to fit in there. And they row themselves out the entrance. They're barely outside the cave before the rock slides back into place. They have to turn this big wheel. It's a whole winch system. It's not magic. but Turning this wheel slides the rock back into place. They can see from where they are that they're not right inside the bay. They're just outside of it. so They're not in the part where the rocks are would be dangerous to take a boat where they took their surfboards when they came into this area. Taking a boat this size in here would get all smashed on the rocks with the, the waves and such. It's the whole reason they didn't use a boat to begin with, but they're far enough out that they can. They wait a few minutes, and sure enough, they see Broda, Lays, and a couple of their people, as well as Ran, come paddling over on their boards. They help Ran into the boat, because he's pretty good on a board, but not as good as Broda or his people. Broda, very pleased to see that they're okay, but very concerned at their obvious wounds. You can see Maeve's horrible burn and such, and you can see that Kip's in rough shape. He's very pale from blood loss and such. They make no... Uh, they hesitate not. They make all haste to get back to Broda's people. And so they start paddling away to get back to the... Uh, Brodus community as quickly as they can, with their stuff intact. So they were successfully able to get in and out. No one died, well, that they cared about, and well, I guess they did lose a crew member, so there was that. Um, but there's some injuries and such. And they make it back to Brodus people, where they begin the process of healing, using the natural salves, the things they have. Remember, they have a cleric as well, artist cleric. They start dealing with the Wounds and injuries, and taking time to heal themselves. Well, at the same time, everybody gets their stuff back, which is pretty cool. They're gonna—they they lost, like I said, some basic supplies and their ship, but they have all their weapons, armor, and the important stuff, right? I have a segment of reading. It's been three days since they'd returned to Brodus' community. There had been celebration and much time to reflect. Quintius said, let them know it was time to leave. They were needed farther to the east, though why, he did not know. Remember, the gods speak through him and give him information. The goddess of light, Manara, speaks through him. that He has, he's given this knowledge, though it's not like he hears her voice saying, tell him this. It's just suddenly he has this knowledge and knows it's from her. So he says, we must continue east. We are needed, though I do not know why. Artis had to admit to herself that she relied heavily on Quintius' counsel and guidance. She promised to herself, and to her god Zorn himself, that she would never let him fall into evil hands again. It scared her, realizing someone could get a hold of him and either harm him, kill him, or use him for evil purposes. It's important he's what's leading them, hopefully, to eventually get back to Seraph and the rest of their friends so they can finally get back home. And he's become a friend and ally. After research and much testing, Petal had learned that Selenius's amulet greatly increased the strength of both water- and wind-based spells, making it perfect for a sea mage. For a wild mage like Petal, though, she realized the increase in power might also increase the effect of an unexpected wild surge. For her friend's safety, she felt it best not to use the amulet herself, instead packing it away in with her belongings." Kip had made a full recovery thanks to Artis and the other priests' magic, much to Rand's uh, relief. The two had become quite the formidable team in combat, and they continued their training away from camp whenever they could. So they take time themselves. They don't practice training or weapons in Broda's uh, pacifist community. They don't do that. But they will leave and go well out of sight to be able to do what they need to do to continue practicing once Kip's feeling better. Maeve had spent much of the time with Broda, She'd come to feel a fondness for the young man, though she still struggled with his pacifism. He cared for his people and did what he thought was best for them. In many ways, he reminded her of, his fa- of her father. They sat together on the beach while her friends prepared to leave. It felt good to be in her armor again, although she felt out of place in, its, felt out of place in it sitting next to a man of peace. You can imagine that. She's sitting there in her full paladin plate mail at this point. And her arm is scarred but healed. There's no hair. It's going to take a while for that to heal if it ever fully does. Um, But the whole group is pretty much healed up at this point thanks to the magical healing. I know it is far to the west but if you and your people should ever need aid or a place to live in safety my father would welcome you in his lands, said Maeve. Broda smiled. I shall keep that in mind. I admit your tales of your homeland have me quite curious, but for now at least, this is our home. But the thought of seeing you again pleases me, and he puts his hand gently on hers. May have blushed, but did not pull away. It seems my path takes me further west, further from home. This journey has become far different than anything we expected it to be when we first began it. I sometimes can't help but wonder if we'll ever get to see home again. Fear not, little sister, Broda assured her. Your gods guide you to a greater purpose. When you are done, they will lead you home. Back to those who care for you. The two shared a long smile before returning back to the village. The companions were finally ready to leave. They bid farewell to the remaining crew of the Miss Dandelion. Some had found their home here and had decided to stay and join the community. The rest were heading back west, intending to make the journey, hopefully, home to Darshtopia. Artists and them would have supplied them with funds and money to help them with that. With them, they carried a letter from Maeve for her father, and letters from the other children to their parents. The parents deserved to know that the children were alive and well. The companions embraced and bid farewell to Broda and his people, promising to return if the chance ever presented itself. With a final wave, they made their way northwest, per Quintius' guidance. What they may find there, only the gods knew. Broda watched them fade into the distance. "'You are fond of her,' Lays said, more than asked. "'I am,' he admitted honestly.' "'She is a strong warrior and honorable," said Lays. "'You would have been quite the pair.' "'Broda smiled at his second-in-command and closest friend. "'Perhaps,' he said, "'in another life.' "'Turning, they made their way back into camp "'where Broda grabbed his board and headed towards the beach. "'Lays let him go on alone, "'understanding his need to be alone with the water, "'losing himself in the waves.' So they are now continuing off with the return of their goods with Quintius in hand. Quintius says that they're needed northwest. So not there's something there for you. That's where Seraph is. He doesn't know what's there. But that they would be needed. Now, What needs them? Who needs them? Or how they'll be needed? They have yet to find that out. But they know that their future at least lies in that direction. A future that sadly is taking them even further away from home. So that's the end of this little section of this story. Um, in two weeks, when we come back, we will be continuing with Artis and Mave, Rand, Kip, and Petal, into what is the next section of their quest or storyline. Um, we're going to be spending some more time with these guys for a while before we go back to Seraph. There's still more to be dealt, uh, done here, if you will. We're going to, well, I guess I should say, we're going to step into that. Uh, but before we do, before we get to see exactly what awaits Artis and her friends in the Northwest, and before we get to find out what Seraph and his allies are up to, There's a story happening somewhere else that we're going to have to delve into. Something else is happening in the world of importance. And I have one last special thing to read for you before I finish today's stream. The evening wind whipped Mercy's hair as she raced west towards the garrison at the edge of her kingdom. Her griffin carried her high above the ground, faster than any any horse could. She did not need to look behind her to know her husband Ulric was close behind on a griffin of his own. It wasn't often that both the king and queen left the city of Serenity, but this was a matter of great urgency. When Mercy had received the message that an envoy from Oramon had arrived at the garrison asking to meet with her, she'd been surprised. There had been no warnings, no notice. Her scouts and even her spies in Shadow Company had no idea an envoy of considerable size was already at her doorstep. But her surprise turned to complete shock when she learned the young emperor himself had come to speak with her. She had wasted no time, and they were in the air within minutes. Now, as her griffin began its descent to the garrison below, all she could feel was trepidation. None of this bode well. Upon landing, caretakers immediately took the leads of the mighty griffins. Mercy and her husband dismounted to find Sir Seth waiting for her. Seth had been the commander there for well over a decade, during which time the original fort had grown into a small city of its own. Many who lived there still had originally fled from Orimon in the past. The Emperor being here would only bring fear to her people. Seth immediately caught her up on the situation. No one had seen the Emperor. The Ormanians had made camp just within sight of the garrison's wall. The garrison itself was on full alert. Every able soldier and battle mage was ready and more mages had begun to arrive by portal from the mage tower in the Kingdom of Serenity. As always, the mages were mercy's best weapon against the magic-fearing people of Oramon. It seemed that there'd been no other contact from the envoy since their original messenger had first delivered the Emperor's request to meet. The garrison was as ready for an attack as it could be. There was no reason to hesitate or wait longer. Mercy gave the order, and a man was sent through the gate to deliver the news that the king and queen had arrived and were ready to meet with the emperor and his party. Mercy watched from the battlements as the man casually walked to the envoy, or towards the envoy, praying she'd not send him to his death. The numbers of the Oromanians was much too small to take the garrison. Even without the mages, her forces drastically outnumbered the amount of men that reportedly were escorting the emperor. What was their play here? A short time later, Mercy saw her messenger returning with, Well, that couldn't be right. Only one other person walked with him. As they drew closer, there was no doubt the man was the emperor by his dress and appearance. Mercy and Ulrich went down to meet him. As the young emperor walked through the gate, Mercy couldn't help but catch her breath. He was the spitting image of his father, though younger. Now, when I say younger, he's probably in his mid-twenties at this point. He was born well before any of the other kids were. uh, Well before Seraph was born. So he's probably in mid to late-twenties at this point. But his father was in his late-forties when Mercy killed him. Because she did. He was dressed in ceremonial armor, if that. And Mercy could see he was unarmed. So the armor he's wearing is nice and regal, but not really built for battle, right? It's probably got big shoulder pads and, you know, decorative-looking symbols and stuff on it for the goddess of Pandora that they worship, the cat goddess. Maybe they have cat heads, like big cat, in her arms comes out of the mouth, kind of like a lion thing, but a cat. But he was not carrying any weapon that she could see. Ulrich welcomed him to Serenity, and the Emperor smiled. "'Thank you, Your Highness,' he said. "'It is an honor to be here. "'I apologize for not giving more notice.' "'but my advisers thought it best for my safety "'that my journey be kept quiet. "'There are many who would use this time to move against me.' "'Yet you came here alone,' said Mercy flatly. "'Your reputation is well known, my lady,' he said. "'I have complete faith that I am in no danger here.' "'Quite true,' replied Ulrich. "'You've come under a banner of peace. Your, "'Your safe return to your people is assured.' If you'll follow me, there's a place where we can speak more comfortably. With a small bow, the Emperor followed Ulrich inside. Mercy hesitated a moment, looking to Seth, who nodded. She didn't have to say a word. He knew well her thoughts. As Mercy followed her husband and the Emperor um, into the keep itself, Ulrich be- or, sorry, uh, Seth began to quietly begin giving orders. Whatever was about to be said in that room would likely determine the fate of these two great nations for many, many years to come. Mercy wasn't taking any chances. The apple never falls far from the tree. And that's what I have for today. Next time, before we talk about the kids at all, we'll be seeing what that conversation is all about. And we'll spend some time with Mercy Ulrich and the new young emperor of Orimon. I hope that you guys will be excited to see what comes of that. Orimon has a very, very long history with Serenity, as many of you well know, um, and uh, I think we all know it's going to have quite a future with it as well. But I would like to thank all of you, every one of you, for letting me tell this story for a hundred episodes. Maybe I'll be lucky enough to tell it for a 100 more, right? But and, <laughs> Teresa loves cliffhangers. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to do so. All right. Thank you all very much for 100 awesome episodes, over 300 hours of story. Please remember to click like on this. Please remember to give us a follow on the audio podcast uh, site of your choice. If you'd like to leave a review over there, five stars and all that great stuff. It would totally be awesome. But either way, come on back in two more weeks and we'll have ourselves a little bit more Merged Worlds and the beginnings of what might be a storyline for our original characters for the first time in a while. I hope you guys look forward to seeing that as much as I I look forward to telling it to you. All right? You folks have yourselves a wonderful day. Thank you so much for coming.